That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. 18. So, we don't look at the troubles we can't see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The word of the Lord. Our current series is called Looking Good, and it's about the way we look at people and also the way we perceive God. When we are saved, we get a new life. The goodness of God becomes the dominant influence in our lives, and so that has to change the way we look at these things. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And that means we look at people differently. We don't label them. We don't stereotype them. We see them the way our Heavenly Father does, not with cynicism or contempt, but with compassion. As individuals who are actually pre-approved for forgiveness whenever necessary. Because when we're born again, our eyes are opened and we see people differently. But that's not all. Because in addition to getting a new perspective on the visible world, we also receive the ability to discern the invisible realm, which means we have the ability to see God. Not optically like those blurred photos of Bigfoot, but spiritually, by faith. It's much like what developmental developmental psychologists call object permanence. It's a uh, term that I've been introduced to recently. This is the understanding in infants that objects continue to exist even when they can't be perceived. Because at first a baby thinks their mother only exists when she can see her face. And that's why peekaboo is either a fun game or it's a torturous ordeal. Jean Piaget, the Swiss psychologist, was the first to study object permanence in infants. And he concluded that it is one of the most important accomplishments in healthy development. Because without it, objects would have no separate permanent existence. And so in the spiritual realm, that's one of our biggest problems. In other words, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. To us, invisibility equals absence. That's why the theologians in the 60s were speculating about whether God was dead because there were no vital signs. Well, to understand this, we have to go back to Paradise Lost because in the beginning, God appeared visibly to Adam and Eve 
and he interacted physically with them. But they didn't have any digital cameras, so they couldn't take any selfies. They were the only eyewitnesses of God's existence. Because when they sinned, that changed everything. God's holiness could not coexist with sin, so the visible manifestation of the living God disappeared from the earth. That's why when Moses on Mount Sinai wanted to see the glory of God, God said, no one can see me and live. Exodus 33.20 In these perishable bodies, we could not survive in the visible presence of God. We couldn't handle it. We know that the created universe itself is filled with forces that could destroy us in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. Things like solar radiation or seismic events, tornadoes, molten lava, and that mad dog triple X plutonium grade barbecue hot sauce, or any tomato sauce really. And yet these are mild compared to the radiance of God's glory. The effect would be far worse than being hit by a taser or bear spray. It would be like experiencing a thermonuclear explosion at point-blank range. It would split our atoms and protons and neutrons. In the book of Revelation, John had a vision of the one who was dead and is alive forever and ever. And he says he saw someone whose eyes were like blazing fire whose voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He had a total nervous breakdown. So for our protection and safety, God has withdrawn his visible presence from this fallen world Otherwise, it would be an extinction event. There would be no survivors, except for those pesky neighborhood rabbits that run around in our yards. You just can't get rid of them. So here we are in 2019, where it's another day in Paradise Lost, and we press on with our limited five senses. And then we pick up a Bible and we read these words in Hebrews 11, verse 1, where it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The Christian life has a lot to do about what we do not see, the invisible realm. Faith is focused on what we do not see. And that's important because in verse 6 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we are supposed to believe in someone we can't see. And that's impossible because... In our fallen spiritual condition, we don't have object permanence. If something is invisible, we assume it doesn't exist. Except maybe for gravity and Wi-Fi and the great pumpkin. We're kind of like infants who don't realize that there is an existence beyond what we can see visibly. When it comes to God, we simply don't have 
object permanence. Because our development has been impaired, we have not matured in our understanding, so we are not looking good. We see through a glass darkly, a poor reflection in a mirror, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. But fortunately, God is not playing peekaboo with us. On the contrary, he has pulled out all the stops to reveal his presence to us in ways that are meaningful to us, in, way, in terms we can understand without giving us a nervous breakdown. And his revelation is not cryptic, it's not subtle, it's clearly visible. For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known of about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The invisible nature of God has been made visible by the things he has created. Paul says, as sinners, we suppress the truth, the truth of God's existence. We don't want to admit God is real because then we can do whatever is right in our own eyes. We can indulge ourselves in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So we would rather suppress the truth and ignore the evidence. But the creation continues to testify of his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, being clearly seen so that we are without excuse. The Louvre Museum in Paris contains 35,000 works of art. And not one of those are the result of chance. Each of them was created by a gifted artist whose name appears on a plaque near the painting. And if there are any artworks in that museum that are not identified, they don't assume that they were the result of accidental chance. No, this was the work of some unknown artist, and great, time, great amounts of time and effort is spent trying to discover who it was. But that's not happening with creation, because all of the effort is focused not on identifying the artist, but on arguing that there is no intelligent design and that the creator is unnecessary. It just happened. Once I was a tadpole swimming in the sea. Then I was a monkey swinging from a tree. Now I am a scientist with a PhD. It just happened. It was all accidental. For although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts became darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, birds and animals and reptiles. Paul is talking about Charles Darwin, origin of the species. Stephen Hawking, a brief history of time. David Attenborough, planet Earth. All the focus is on the animals. There's no acknowledgement whatsoever of the one who created this. 
So 2,000 years after Paul wrote Romans chapter 1, we still haven't faced the truth. Instead, we believe in this superstition called evolution. What are the chances? But of course, many have seen that evidence and they've rendered a different verdict. Although we can't see God visibly, we are eyewitnesses of his unparalleled genius in the greatest art gallery imaginable one that stretches across the entire universe containing billions and billions of masterpieces for the heavens declare the glory of God. Author, author. Well, if you can see that, then you're looking good. There is evidence of God's presence everywhere. Creation testifies to the work of a creator. But not just creation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We not only have creation, but we also have the testimonies of people just like us, who had become certain of what they did not see, they believed God existed and he rewarded them because they were earnestly seeking him. They trusted God to keep his promises and he kept his word 90% of the time. No. How much? 100% of the time. I mean, what are the chances of that? There's got to be somebody up there. Yet sinners continue to suppress the truth. You know, much criticism has been directed against the Bible. And people delude themselves into thinking that their arguments are, are like battering rams or like wrecking balls that will demolish the fortress of faith. But if you look at history, all the skepticism against God's word is kind of like a blizzard. It's relentless, it's heavy, it can be overwhelming until it covers even the highest mountaintops. And sometimes you may wonder if those peaks still exist. You can't see anything past the tree line. It's all snow. But we know that when the thaw comes, that snow melts and it disappears. What a relief. Look at that. Castle Mountain is still there. As majestic as ever. And that's exactly how God's word has endured. All of the doubts and the denunciations and the Da Vinci Codes may momentarily obscure the truth, but they all just pass away without even making a dent. That's because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Object permanence forever and ever. So God has revealed himself in the scriptures, in creation, so that we can discern his presence spiritually by faith. And then, of course, there was Jesus. One child was complaining to his mother, who was telling him that God was invisible. And the little boy said, I, I don't want that. I want a God with skin on. Well, we got one. Colossians chapter 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God. 
In him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's the clearest visible manifestation we've ever had of God because Jesus was God. We all know John 14.6 where Jesus made this incredible claim that no one gets to the Father except through him. But if you read on, Jesus made an even greater claim. When Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's all about Jesus. We already established that earlier in the service. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, In past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and in many and various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I could say to you, you know, if you want to know what, what Pastor Zig looks like, he looks kind of like this. Almost. No, he looks exactly like this, unfortunately. But he looks exactly like this. And that's who Jesus is. How can you say, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the revelation of God. So that in, a, in terms we can understand in ways that are meaningful to us. We'll say more about that next week. But our greatest concern, I think, in our everyday life is how can I see God in my life right now, especially when everything is going wrong? Does invisibility equal absence? We also still struggle with object permanence. If we don't see God, if we don't feel Him, if we don't sense His presence, we sometimes assume that He has abandoned us. It's very common to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And by faith, we go beyond our feelings. Little infants are dependent entirely on their feelings. But we have gone beyond that. We have grown to the place where we rely less on our feelings and more on faith. We have faith in what God says in his word, faith in his promises. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And as we get into God's word more and more, we rely less and less on what is visible. And we focus on what is eternal. And even with this election coming up tomorrow, our hope is not in politicians or political parties. It is important to vote. It is important to pray for the election. We have already voted because my motto is vote early, vote often. <laughs> but our hope is ultimately not aimed at the outcome. Because even if the outcome is disappointing, we will not despair. And we will continue to seek God in his kingdom beyond everything. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. 
We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's the key to victory. Focusing on the eternal, which happens to be invisible. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. It's a mindset. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Don't store up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a habit of the heart. It's reminding ourselves on those terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, that even on those days, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, we cannot see that visibly necessarily. But we know that's exactly what God promised to do. And he has kept 100% of his promises. And when we focus on the invisible, we are looking good. And it needs to become a habit. This is not just something we save for an emergency, like a fire extinguisher. It's more like a furnace in winter. It needs to be a habit so that we do not develop spiritual hypothermia. It's what a devout monk called Brother Lawrence wrote in his book called Practicing the Presence of God. Lawrence believed that God existed even though he wasn't visible. He believed that God was intensely interested in his life. And so by faith, Lawrence could enjoy God's presence when he was washing pots and pans and cleaning out bathrooms as much as he did when he was in the cathedral, surrounded by worshipers during the holy seasons and festivals. Focusing on the invisible and the eternal had become a habit. You know, sometimes you look at your life and you say, man, is this all there is? Like, I thought I would have accomplished more. I thought my life would look so much different. But that's only based on the visible that we see. There's so much more in the invisible realm that we need to factor in. And then it looks very different. And so what we see determines who we are. And we are revealed by what we see. And that applies both to the visible and the invisible realms. That's why the writer of Hebrews could say in chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is a habit, not an occasional glance, but a fixed gaze. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So whenever darkness hides his face, we don't despair. We don't let our feelings deceive us. We don't let self-pity overwhelm us. We fix our eyes. Not on the visible, because that's temporary. We fix our eyes on the invisible because it's eternal. We affirm our conviction. In Hebrews 13:5, where God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And in Matthew 28:20, 20, where Jesus said, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. We have God's word on that. So people may scoff at our faith, but it's only because they suffer from arrested development. They lack object permanence because faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain 
of what we do not see. Father, you have called us to live by faith. And often the world just kind of dominates our attention. And we forget that what we see is temporary. It's passing away. But what you're doing in our lives will be relevant and meaningful for the next 10,000 years. And so, Lord, we want to train ourselves daily to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, to realize that that's just passing away. We have to deal with it. We have to have some kind of way of coping with that part. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen because nothing can take anything away from what you've already given us. And your presence is with us always. You will never leave us, never forsake us. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.